Michael Slate Show, and I'm Michael Slate. And we've got an interesting show today, but first this. The Supreme Court is threatening to rip away the right to an abortion. This is not something that might happen. This is happening, and it will happen if you don't rise up to stop it. This is not just a passion I have. This is my deepest fear. I am afraid of what this country will look like when women are deemed less than human by the state, when I lose the right to control my own life. Our rights were not won through voting. They were won through mass movements. And if you would have stood with the suffragettes and the civil rights movement, then you need to be in the streets, in DC, outside the Supreme Court. This is not the time to be helpless and hopeless. This is the time to fight like hell. Overturn Roe, hell no. That was Zoe, a member of Rise Up for Abortion Rights, speaking recently in front of the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. So at the back end of today's show, we're going to hear one of the presentations from Solidarity with Iran's Political Prisoners, an international roundtable that took place June 10th, 2022. It was sponsored by the Peace and Conflict Studies Johnson & Wright Funds of DePaul University. All of the presentations are available on the YouTube channel for the International Emergency Campaign to free Iran's political prisoners, and I really recommend that. As the speakers say, there are thousands of political prisoners in Iran being held in medieval conditions, tortured, denied medical care, and threatened with execution. The work of the International Emergency Campaign and other groups make a difference, but there is still a long way to go. So we'll hear the remarks of the opening speaker, Hadi Gami, director of the Center for Human Rights in Iran. And opening the show up, we'll hear two segments from the RNL, or Revolution Nothing Less show. We've mentioned this show many times here on The Michael Slate Show. And they are now in a campaign to grow their audience, which should be larger. So go to YouTube, type in the Revcoms, and hit the bell to subscribe. We'll first hear the opening to the most recent show, a commentary by host Andy Z. Then Sansara Taylor joins him to talk about the fight for abortion rights. So let's hear Andy Z. I begin today's RNL Revolution Nothing Less show with some straight talk of a great need to be filled. A need that bears down on us all as we pour our hearts, our minds, our bodies into joining with the fight for the right to abortion. This week we have posted on our website revcom.us an article that begins this way. Quote, everyone who can't stand this world the way it is needs to be challenged to be part of the revolution that is the way out of this madness. And people need to know that there is an actual strategy for making this revolution based on the key points of the foundation and the roadmap for this revolution in the work by the revolutionary leader Bob Avakian, something terrible or something truly emancipating, end quote. This article is titled, Organizing for an Actual Revolution, Seven Key Points. It goes on to say, in introducing these seven points, that they are, quote, the basic means for carrying out this strategy, so that the currently small forces for the revolution that is urgently needed can grow in numbers and strength, quickly, in a concentrated way, and become the powerful force that is needed to lead this revolution. Spreading and popularizing these key points is also an important part of carrying out this strategy, end quote. 
Over the past year, the RNL show has popularized the Revcoms a declaration, a call to get organized now for a real revolution, along with something terrible or something truly emancipating. We've called on people to get into these works and to discuss them with friends as well as with the revolution clubs, digging into one, why we need a revolution, two, what a revolution really is, and three, what the goal of the revolution must be, and on that basis, to get into how we need to struggle with and organize masses of people for revolution now. Even as we have discussed this and illustrated why this is the only road forward for humanity, this struggle has not yet happened with the boldness and scale that is so urgently needed. The analysis, the strategy, and especially the leadership provided by Bob Avakian overall, and in something terrible or something truly emancipating, has not been deeply enough engaged, grappled with, and fought for with the certitude and acuity that this moment in history requires. Along with this, people don't know that in Bob Avakian BA, they have a radically different kind of leader, a revolutionary who bases himself on the scientific understanding that this system must be finally overthrown through an organized struggle involving millions of people and replaced with a system that is oriented to and capable of meeting the most fundamental needs of humanity and enabling humanity to become fit caretakers of the earth. And that Bob Avakian BA is the architect of a whole new framework of human emancipation. If you are watching and learning about these works for the first time today, as soon as this program concludes, go to revcom.us and read, download, and discuss these articles, and recognize that what I have said so far and what I'm about to get into, the serious struggle required to spread and fight hard with people to wake up and dig into this work, is something that you too are being called on to be a part of, getting into these seven key points yourself and joining the struggle not just against the system, but with everyone who really needs to be a part of fighting for a radically different and far better future. Too few even know about these documents. Too few have been sharply confronted with the situation we face, which really is heading towards a terrible future of such horrific dimension that it defies imagination. And at the heart of the matter, fewer still have been struggled with to get their heads out of the sand, let alone out of their asses and seriously engage the revolution that humanity so urgently needs. What I mean by heads in the sand is too many of those who desire a just world without oppression are in the grip of ways of thinking that's locked within the putrid present, a culture and a way of going through the world that pollutes people's thinking and suffocates aspiration for change. People's horizons are submerged beneath the so-called practical, pragmatic politics of voting for the Democrats, who will not and cannot mount any effective opposition to the Republican Fascist Party. The first of these seven key points of organizing for an actual revolution says, quote, The Democrats have no real answer, except trying to maintain the normal way that the oppressive rule of this system has been enforced for hundreds of years while the fascists are determined to tear up these norms and rule through more openly and aggressively oppressive means without the traditional disguise of supposed democracy for all, end quote. 
Look, I could go on for an hour and not begin to exhaust all the ways that Biden's and the Democrats have failed miserably to not just stop this fascist onslaught, but to even attempt to mobilize the masses of people who do care and who bear the brunt of all the oppression that this system brings down on the people. The first point of this new important directive on Revcom.us, Organizing for an Actual Revolution, seven key points, begins by sharply concentrating the fundamental point of departure, the foundation for why we need a revolution. Quote, Brutal and murderous white supremacy, male supremacy, and other oppressive relations, the deepening crisis in society and the world overall, including the constant wars and continuing destruction of the environment, all this cannot ultimately be resolved in any positive way within the confines of the system that rules in this country and dominates in the world as a whole, the system of capitalism imperialism, end quote. And it tells why in this moment when the country is sharply divided from top to bottom, why that opens the possibility of a real revolution to overthrow the system that is destroying humanity and the planet. The seven key points then tell how to go about making this possibility real. This is a roadmap, a strategy. A strategy is a game plan and a plan of action. Just how crazy is it to fail to read, engage, debate, and apply a strategy to put an end to all the madness that is the world at this juncture in history? How narrow-minded, how head in the sand is it when faced with the environment being destroyed, with half of humanity potentially losing the right to abortion and to control their own futures and bodies, when the world is closer than it has been in over half a century to a potential nuclear war and not even f***ing engage this? And all the more so when the plan, the roadmap, is as unprecedented and viable as what Baba Vakin has written in Something Terrible or Something Truly Emancipating, and is now concentrated in organizing for an actual revolution, seven key points. I'll tell you what it is. It is ignorance, comparable to starting a drive across Death Valley in the heat of summer without putting gas in the car or taking a bottle of water with you. I said that part of the problem is that too many people have their heads up their asses as well, which is what needs to be said when in the face of something unbelievably terrible mounts by the day, and instead of looking out in the world for answers, too many are looking in the mirrors of their cell phones. Or in what amounts to the same thing, turning away from confronting the need to dig into the reality of the problem we face and the solution, to stand up to the system, and to do whatever it takes to save the people and the planet. Instead, a fever has spread where all too many are turning their woke-ass attention to tearing down others, including, if not especially, those who are standing up against the system. Baba Vakin put it straight in something terrible or something truly emancipating when he said, quote, masses of people are being brutalized and savaged. The world is burning, literally as well as figuratively. And you are preoccupied with changing the faces of those who preside over these horrors and spitting on people if they don't use nouns and pronouns that you approve of, or in some other way violate the constantly mutating standards of wokeness, end quote? 
Look, enough of this, enough of acting like this is doing anything other than contributing to and furthering the nightmare that is coming. If, if we don't take up organizing now for a real revolution and struggling with people over that. Later in today's program, we will speak to this in regard to the abortion battle. Organizing for an actual revolution, seven key points, crisply lays out the road forward. In this opening to today's show, I am reaching out to everyone who has the heart to fight for something really worth fighting for. Think about this. Measure what it is in these seven key points and measure what I have said. And to everyone, take this to heart and take this new work, organizing for an actual revolution, seven key points up now. Let us not speak falsely. The hour is getting late. The winds of change are howling. The roar of the wind up to now has been of the fire, floods, hunger, war, brutal oppression of people for being women, people of color, different genders, different nationalities, the howl of the beast of imperialism. Get into these seven key points and let's bring the ferocious wind of the millions of people rising up for the emancipation of all of humanity through an actual revolution. All right, that was Andy Z on the Revolution Nothing Less show. If one woman hurts, if one woman cries, if one man bleeds, rise. Up, get up, dance up, get up, sing up, get up, change everything. Up, get up, dance up, get up, sing up, get up, change everything. Silence must stop. Violence must end, broken body and spirit will rise again. Strength in numbers, take a stand. Now let's hear Sansara Taylor on the fight for abortion rights. Now I want to welcome the co-host of the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show and an initiator of Rise Up for Abortion Rights, my friend, colleague, comrade Sansara Taylor, who's in Washington, D.C. Sansara, how are you doing? Andy, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, pushing very hard down here in D.C., but it's really good to be with you. Good, good. So listen, we ought to tell people what it is you're doing in D.C., what are we doing, and what are we calling on the people watching this show to do at this moment, this 11th hour in the struggle for abortion rights? Yeah, um, it is the 11th hour. A decision from the highest court in the most powerful country in the world is looming any day now. Within days or at most weeks, the Supreme Court is on track to take away women's fundamental right to abortion. And so now, right now, is really the time for everybody. If you have ever told yourself that you care about women or that you love justice or you want to be on the right side of history, this is the moment right now to stand up. And I really mean to stand up and put it on the line to disrupt business as usual to call forward others who support abortion rights out of their passivity and slumber and wake them up. People need to come to D.C., to the seat of power. We need to converge here. We are on the ground here. We're calling on people to rise up for abortionrights.org has a beautiful, poetic and challenging call, inspiring call on our website, calling on people to get down here and to take action wherever you are. To make clear and to wake up the people, to make clear to the people who run this society that we will sooner bring the gears of society to a grinding halt through massive, sustained, nonviolent protest and resistance, then let them take this right away from women. Because forced motherhood 
is female enslavement. Forcing women to have children against their will, denying them the right to abortion, denying girls the right to abortion is a form of enslavement and it is barbaric. And we are so close already across this country. Many states, several states are shutting down abortion clinics in anticipation of this ruling. We have to stop this now. And now is the time to rise up. So come to D.C. We need to flood these streets. We need to be in front of the Supreme Court on the potential decision days. And we need to wake up the masses of people who support the right to abortion to get out of their passivity and be part of deflecting the future onto a different course. This really is an urgent moment. And so we've been using in this struggle and on this show, a very powerful quote from a student leader in the free speech movement back in the 60s at Berkeley campus, Mario Savio. And he delivered this very powerful statement at a protest he was leading in it. And it speaks to the moment right now. I think we should play it. I think it actually sets the right tone. Okay. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. So I'm sorry, I think it's important that we keep showing that quotation, that agitation from Mario Savio. He spoke about when the situation becomes so odious. And I don't think people have thought enough about what it's going to mean when this right is taken away. Yes, it'll be first only in of half of half of humanity in the red states where this right is taken away. But people should make no mistake that they are coming for the whole thing. If they win this, they're coming for the whole thing on a national level. These fascists are poised to come back to power and without massive resistance that's what they're going to do and they're going to take this away and it's going to cascade into uh the right to con contraception and to lbgtq rights this is very serious you know we i just say to our audience we say a lot of things on this show not to not to scare you not to hype you up but because they're true when we have said that when you can force compel women to bear a child and you want to enforce that with the state, that means that their wombs are going to be sites of surveillance. The state's going to want to know, is there anything gestating there? And then if anything goes wrong, a miscarriage or whatever, it becomes a crime scene. This is the involuntary servitude, the slavery of women, and it needs to be stopped now. And as you've pointed out many times on the show, Sansara, it is not easy but you're in a far stronger position to fight for a right before it's lost than afterwards. And should it be lost, we'd only be that much stronger if the streets of D.C. and the, all around the country were filled with people. Now, I understand you've had some very, you know, inspiring moments in Washington, Sansara, as people have come down, including uh, one person we showed last week uh, who had chained himself to the fence in front of the Supreme Court. Why don't you tell us a bit about him? And we're going to play a short video from him. Yeah. So um, there's a man named Guido who was like you said, he was in the news. Um, he got covered because he came up from Miami and he saw this emergency facing the right to abortion and the and the constitutional precedent and the, uh, of a constitutional right being revoked. And he, he recognized this for the emergency it is. And he came up and he actually went on a hunger strike. 
and jumped over the police line and chained himself to the fence that's been constructed around the Supreme Court and did a nonviolent civil disobedience. And he called on people to join him. This was actually, it was directed very uh, consciously towards waking people up to stand up and join him. And so he's been in D.C. We're really happy to be in, in front of the Supreme Court with him. He's continuing his hunger strike. Um, and I did an interview with him for the RNL show. We're going to show a little bit of it because I think people should hear from him directly. Guido, I first learned about you um, when I saw you on Ford Fisher's live stream and then in the news coverage of coming to D.C., jumping over that fence, chaining yourself to the Supreme Court gate. And then I watched an interview you did explaining why you did this and why you were on hunger strike. I wonder if you could just uh, capture for us briefly why you came to D.C. and why you were willing to put yourself on the line in that way. Sure. Um, yeah, I guess I come out of a background in activism on climate since 2019 with the Extinction Rebellion in the U.K. And that's when I learned about mass nonviolent civil resistance and the power that it has to achieve rapid and deep uh, fundamental change in, in, in governments across the world, even repressive governments, violent governments. And uh, I'm a father and I have a young daughter whose life is going to be, I live in Florida, so I come from Miami. Florida, um, it's one of the states under the thumb of the Republican Party and her life is going to be deeply affected by the results of this ruling. Two other things I want to ask you about, um, and it's in line with what you've said, and I'm feeling what you're, what you're expressing. It's, it's important. It's very important. People have to let themselves actually go there. You, you know? have to feel it, because we're not, we're not machines. Emotion is what moves us. You, and if you can't feel it, you have to sit with yourself until you do. You need to see what you need to look. You need to look at the suffering that women and girls are going to go through. You need to listen to their stories. You need to identify with it. And that's what's going to give you the courage to act. Do you have a message for other fathers? Father's Day is coming up. D.C. is a place to be. Do you want to say anything to them about uh, as a challenge directly from you? Absolutely. It's, I'm, I'm at the point where I can't consider doing anything less than everything I can do. And I know that for every father, that doesn't mean coming to D.C., but I know that for thousands and probably millions of fathers, it does mean that they can come to D.C. It's just inconceivable to me that, that anyone cannot do everything it takes. So I'm calling you to do everything you can. If you're a father, you need to look your daughter in the eyes and you need to make the commitment to do what it takes to protect her rights because Roe has not been overturned and we have the power to prevent it from being overturned. And all it takes is people stepping out of their fear and stepping into the street. So I'm calling you to join Rise Up for Abortion Rights. Come into the street, step into the street in your city if you can't, but the proven history of nonviolent mass resistance is that you occupy the capital city because that's where the power is. You have to raise power against power and that's how you win. So get out here. What are you waiting for? Really? I'd like to know. So call me, you know? I want to hear your excuse. Well, that was a very heartfelt and moving interview and a call and a courageous act to go on a hunger strike. And I think it's really important and necessary that people answer that call and come down to Washington. Come down this weekend.
stay. If you can't stay, come down this weekend, then come down at the end of the week or whenever this decision comes down, if it comes down before the following week. I think it'd be important, Sansara, to uh, talk a bit about how we make create a social movement of people going to Washington, D.C. And we've been sort of taking bits from two different films, a documentary and a fiction film, uh, and telling people to get on the bus, plane, train, and automobile and come to Washington, D.C. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, actually, it's so it, it, I have to tell a story because I think it captures something. There is a flight attendant who came to D.C. She rearranged her schedule. She's on the rise up for abortion rights email list. She heard about the convergence in D.C., so she got on a flight that had a layover in D.C. And on her way here, the other flight attendants were saying, what are you going to do during your layover? And she told them. And so another one of them, she just met on the flight, came with her to D.C., and both of them spoke with such depth of conviction and such fury at the way that women are judged and told they're wrong any decision they make when they find out they're pregnant, they're wrong if they have the child, they're wrong if they have an abortion, they're wrong if they do this. And the fury and the fact that they just met on their way here, I think, captures what we need. There are so many people out there. We are calling on you to come to D.C., but to make a deal out of coming here. If you're driving, get a bunch of other people driving with you. Put green all over your car, flags and stickers. Stop at every roadside rest and make a stink about why you're coming here and bring others with you. Get on the train and march through the cars and call on other people to join you. Make a stink. Get on the plane. Come here. However you can get here, come to D.C. and make it a thing and build the support. Tell people why you're coming. Have them support you. Have them send funds and have them do actions wherever they are. This needs to not just be a one by one incremental buildup. This needs to be a growing, snowballing wave yeah. of people coming. Yeah, it's a crescendo. I think uh, there should be... Uh Departure parties. I understand there's a, a bus coming from uh, New York. There should be a rally as the bus leaves. There should be car caravans. But since sorry, now I'd like to pull the lens back and and play a short uh, uh, excerpt uh, from uh, Bob Avakian's work, something terrible or something truly emancipating. I spoke at that about that work at the opening of today's program and the importance of it in indicating that. Things are on a horrific course, but there is within that horror the possibility of something really emancipating, truly emancipating through an actual revolution. And part of creating uh, the kinds of people and the kind of climate for that is fighting and winning this battle for the right to abortion. And in this little segment from this speech, he talks about the oppression of, of women and and its relationship, actually, to the struggle for abortion rights. It's, it's, it's very compressed, but it is actually pulling the lens back to the larger question of the uh, oppression of women and their role that women have is a mighty force for revolution. So let's just watch this right now. Here is another profound truth. Even with all the ways that the heavy chains of hundreds and thousands of years of oppressive tradition weigh down on the masses of people and place a heavy burden, particularly on the half of humanity that is female. There is a deep yearning to be free of all this, which not only leads to imaginary hopes of supernatural salvation, but also erupts in unrestrained fury right in this real world. And that fury needs to be fully called forth given a scientific revolutionary expression focused toward the emancipation of all the oppressed and exploited of the world 
and ultimately all humanity, directed to fighting against the fundamental source of all the suffering. This system of capitalism imperialism, with its suffocating and brutal patriarchal male supremacy, along with all its other outrages. This takes on even more powerful meaning and urgent importance in the current situation in this country and others, where the forceful assertion of raw misogyny, hatred of women, and patriarchal subjugation of women is becoming more blatant and unbridled, focused to a significant degree now in the escalating moves to even further deny women control over their own lives and their very bodies, with the right to abortion and even birth control being brought under mounting attack. Right now, this slogan and call needs to be taken up broadly and made a powerful material force. Break the chains, unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for revolution. El Estado, los cielos, las calles que tienen los jueces y los judiciales. Hoy a las mujeres nos quitan la calma, nos sembraron miedo, nos crecieron that was Bob Avakian from Something Terrible or Something Truly Emancipating. Sansara, earlier you spoke about how Rise Up for Abortion Rights is calling on people to uh, throw themselves upon the gears of the machinery because of the extremeness of this attack on taking away the right to abortion from women. And there have been actions around the country. We featured them in our last episode. And then we were pleased, actually tickled to find out and to see on the Young Turks, a whole segment on these actions. And it's one, a chance to recap some of these actions, but two, you're getting to see the reaction of people who uh, uh, have a progressive uh, liberal TV, you know, YouTube show and online show reacting to people taking this kind of action. I think it should be instructive to people the impact it has uh, when you take this kind of action. So let's watch. So what you saw was a bit of footage uh, at a WNBA game. Those were uh, topless uh, protesters protesting for reproductive rights. They had uh, signs that might not have been visible in the footage, but uh, messages like, hell no, uh, my body, my choice, those were actually written on their bodies, painted on. They had uh, signs of people in the stands saying things like overturn row, hell no, and abortion on demand and without apology. They were uh, ushered out by security, but they represent a group called Rise Up for Abortion Rights, who put out a message about this saying, this was the audience we wanted. We aren't protesting to change the hearts and minds of woman-hating fascists, no. We are calling on those who can stop the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the millions of people who support abortion rights, you. No business as usual, shut the country down. And I like it, look, we constantly say, every protest movement is told to do it in a more polite way. Don't be quite so loud, don't take up so much more space. It would be really nice if you would just protest over there somewhere. And no, they, they want people to see it. So doing it on the court, it's disruptive, sure, but that's kind of the point of protest. Yeah, in the civil rights movement, they used to call it good trouble. You, you're never going to get change by doing it politely. That's not how it works. Remember the great quote by Frederick Douglass, uh, power never concedes without a demand. 
never has, it never will. So they're making a demand, and they also made a demand at Joel Austin's church. Uh, they did, actually. Why don't we jump ahead to a bit of that footage? It's my body, my Choice. It's my body, my choice. Overturn, girls. Hell God no. Is good. My body, my choice. I am who I say I am. I do what I say I can do because I have a So uh, as Jenk said, that was at Joel Osteen's church. Uh, I don't know how many people were in that crowd there. It was thousands and thousands of people there, though. Um, I, I think they made a wise choice in doing underwear rather than fully topless. These are religious people. They might have absolutely lost their minds at a woman bearing, daring to bear their bodies. Um, but they went to a place to draw attention to it. The stakes are as high as anything in politics is on the future of Roe v. Wade. Um, th this should be considered just the ground floor of what people should be doing. We should see a hundred of those protests, a thousand of those protests every single day. Yes, uh, on the other hand, this might turn into the right wing's favorite protest. Uh, so, yeah, especially for the guys, I'm keeping it real. So we have a question for you guys, tyt.com slash polls. Do you think that this is an effective method of protesting? Uh, so some will say, well, it's not the way I would wanna do it. It's not just that it's not civil, it's in a sense giving the right wing men what they want. They, I think that they probably would find those women attractive, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think, hey, do every and all kind of protest that you can. Don't listen to anyone, fight back. So I love their effort. You know, I, I so appreciate how John from the damage report, he says, you know, we need hundreds of actions like this, hundreds of people. This is the bare minimum. And he's right. This is the kind of thing that anybody with some creativity and daring and a conscience can find the ways to do very creative things and things that are disruptive to business as usual that call people out of their complacency and wake them up and inspire them. And exactly as they say, make good trouble and 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 disrupt things, make people uncomfortable with their silence and complacency and get them moving. And I think, you know, what we want to do now is show you some people who you saw some of them in that footage, but some other people who have really disrupted their lives to come and be in DC and who are talking about why they came and why you need to come and why you need to spread the word. And people should spread this segment all over, show your friends and your family and your coworkers this episode and this footage that we've shown so far and of people calling on them to come to DC. We wanna play some of the voices from on the ground here in front of the US Supreme Court. Hello, my name is Devin. I'm a student organizer with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. I've Ooh. been organizing with their New York chapter for the past few months. And so this is a sort of spoken word speech that I wrote. Our movement. This is not our movement. This is the movement of our mothers and grandmothers. Our descendants rose up and made us free, made our bodies free. So why do we have to keep fighting? Why, after decades of liberation, have we turned the clocks back to the 1950s, telling us that we have no choice? that a potential life inside our life matters more than the lives we are living, that our freedom was a misgiving. Why is the right to choose something that we could lose when our bodies are under attack? 
There are wars killing hundreds every day. There are immigrants leaving their homes who can only pray that we will give them a place to stay. And what about the women? What about the people who are already on this earth? What about the children and adoption systems who have no home to call their own? Do their lives matter? When there is a seeing, breathing human being in need of aid and rights, why do you look to the cells that are so slight they barely even exist yet, but you want to fret and try to make us forget about the living, seeing, breathing, ever human, merely being people on this planet who should have rights, who should be protected by you, our government. But our government was never meant to protect those of our kind. The patriarchy protects by control. Freedom is only for the creators, the white men who the system was built for, who stifle our freedom and objectify our liberty so it becomes a privilege and not a right. I'll tell you why. They are afraid. They are afraid of our power. The power that feeds movements like it feeds children. The power that only grows, burning, and cannot be diffused. Though they have tried to stifle us out, they have called us witches, burnt us at the stake, they have demonized us from the very beginning with stories of Eve, making us believe that our power will only bring chaos. But they put our black sisters in bondage, stole the land that we now stand from the indigenous women and ripped their children away to control, to destroy, to erase. Call your friends, call your family, get in the fucking streets. That's right. In the streets, being loud, being disruptive, no more business as usual. Rise, rise up for abortion rights! Rise up for abortion rights! It should be our right to choose to have an abortion or to not. Whatever we decide, women must decide our fate, and that is it. Agreed 110%. So um, I'm a flight attendant, and I've been watching our trip board and looking for trips. I um, get rise up for abortion. I get information from them um, on my news feeds. And so I saw that they were meeting in D.C. today for a possible decision. So I looked for a D.C. layover. Chicago last week for the die-in, but if I get the timing right. So on my flight, I met Mia, who was also assigned to that flight. She came in from Salt Lake. Yeah, Salt, Salt Lake City based. Yeah. Just randomly, she's, I asked her, what are you doing on the overnight? And she said, I'm coming here to support okay. our rights okay. to make a choice. And I said, yes, hell yes, let's do that. And we met each other literally a day ago. But it's so That's nice right. that you so, can have a connection within just a day. You just want to be able to fight for the things that you truly want. And um, I'm just very honored to be around these people. They're incredible. And to be here and be able to stand up and... Anybody can make it happen. Look in your city, look in your town, and if it isn't one, two or three people together becomes 10 and 20. Let's be on the right side of history, please. Come to DC! in pain. They want to see us beneath their foot where they think we belong. So I'm here to break the foot. Because the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. 
and I gave up a lot. I have a birthday tomorrow. I love to do karaoke. I haven't had a big party in two years because of COVID, and I used to have big parties. And I had a big karaoke party planned, and I had a permit that I paid for, and I have a best friend who's pissed off at me right now because I really didn't tell her that I'm not having that party tomorrow. Because when the call came out on, on Friday to come to DC, I changed my plans. I talked to my parents if they could help me with my childcare. I talked to my partner. I had plans to go on vacation at the end of June. I worked two jobs, three jobs, so I can afford to go on vacation. Because I don't make enough to go on vacation. And I chucked those plans because it was clear that this court decision was going to come at the end of June. So when you tell yourself you don't have time to come down here, you have to ask yourself, what will you give up? What is the line that you're not willing to cross? How far are you willing to let them go before you decide that enough is enough? Before you decide that you want to be here, that you want to be standing here with us? Because for all of us, it's been enough for a long time. And they may ask us, how long are you willing to stay? And to them, I have one answer. One day longer than the other side. That is how long I am willing to stay. And if you care about someone who is not you or someone who is you, come here now. That was Sansara Taylor speaking with Andy Z on the Revolution Nothing Less show. As I mentioned, this is on the YouTube channel, The Revcoms. A new show premieres every Thursday, so don't miss it. Before we go to our last segment, I want to play the trailer for the powerful new documentary on HBO, The Janes. This is great and timely and a great piece of art. We were ordinary women trying to save women's lives, but we were criminals. We were felons. For most of the nation, in 72, abortion was illegal. We had to go underground. The woman would be given the address to the front. It was probably obvious to neighbors what was going on. We came to the surface from other things, the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement. You couldn't not pay attention to what was going on. Fetal death is murder. You could not work as a pregnant woman. If you weren't married, you were out of luck. They were terrible situations. The septic abortion word was full every day. Women did awful things. They were literally dying because they were women. So we thought we can be of use. I said, we could use my phone, but change it so that they don't ask for Eleanor. How about Jane? Nobody's called Jane anymore. We had the phone numbers on bulletin boards around Chicago. Pregnant called Jane. The clientele included daughters, wives, mistresses of police, state's attorney, judges. It dawned on me how big an issue this was. Jane was an outrageous undertaking by a lot of smart women. I was not there to pass judgment. I knew there were women like me. Under the radar of the Chicago Mafia and police department. We were all being watched. The phone rings. A man says, we know where you are. There were 11 counts of conspiracy to commit abortion. 110 years for each of us. So that's a long time. That might have ended Jane right then and there. 
I couldn't see myself sitting on the sidelines. We were building a new world, one woman at a time. Sometimes you have to stand up to illegitimate authority, and sometimes there are unjust laws that need to be challenged. All right, that was the trailer for The Janes on HBO. Now we'll hear Hadi Gami, the director of the Center for Human Rights in Iran, speaking on the International Roundtable, Solidarity with Iran's Political Prisoners. Thank you, Alejandro, and thank you all uh, for organizing this important event and campaigning on behalf of political prisoners in Iran. Uh, just let me make an important addition to how I was introduced. I'm also here on behalf of my organization called Center for Human Rights in Iran, uh, which I highly recommend if you're interested to follow information and developments in real time about uh, political prisoners and other issues happening in Iran. Uh, please do check out the website and the social media channels for it. It's a very important English language uh, outlet for uh, bringing news out of Iran of interest to this audience. So I want to start by uh, first noting that uh, we all know about Iran's uh, nuclear crisis. We know about Iran's uh, uh, or issues that the international community has with Iran in the region, its foreign policy from Iraq to Lebanon to Yemen. And uh, that is what the international community primarily been focused over the past decades, especially the media. If you try to find out what is happening in Iran, actually the news and coverage and analysis is very thin and uh, infrequent. And that is a... Uh, due to many factors, including the fact that Iranian government is so repressive that for the past 15 years, it has pretty much pushed out all international correspondents from the country. And the ones who are in the country can only report on non-sensitive issues and will be, uh, will be thrown out of the country if they don't abide by the intelligence pressures that uh, direct them. Uh, and uh, scholars and experts also cannot travel to Iran. Indeed, those who did end up in prison, many of them, we've had examples, uh, many of them uh, have gone to Iran and ended up being imprisoned and used as hostages. So the point I'm getting at is that our understanding of the domestic fabric of Iranian society is fairly limited in the international community. And it's high time for that to change because Iran is changing. Iran is on the verge of what many observers in the country call a historical moment. Uh, many compare it to uh, hanging off of a cliff that the country has reached a historical moment where there are so many uh, crises threatening the future of the country and the people uh, uh, that uh, a, a major, major uh, 
a breakthrough is needed. And indeed, much of the society, which I'm about to talk to you about, the movement, social movements in Iran, uh, seems to be in agreement with that. And that is what has really changed the face of the country over the past decade. Uh, if we were sitting here and having an academic discussion a decade ago, uh, we would have talked about the dominant political discourse in the country, which was called the reform movement, which had come to existence in the mid 90s. Uh, and seemed to be the promise uh, for many people for a peaceful transition toward a more democratic and law-abiding state. Unfortunately, that has not happened. And indeed, there is no more talk of reform in Iran. Nobody believes that the Islamic Republic is reformable. Instead, how the Iranian society is described, it's described as a movement-driven society meaning that the grievances of many, many people in many domains from their workplace uh, to their home to any social setting has reached a level that they've come together and launched movements demanding their fundamental rights. We will hear more about these movements from some of the distinguished panelists, but as we speak on the streets in Iran, there are several of them that are uh, struggling. And this is all relevant to political prisoners because political prisoners represent these movements primarily. Right now, today in Iran, we have uh, uh, many social movements on the street fighting for change, what they call a structural change. It's not quite clear given the repression and lack of ability to come together to even to discuss the future or form political parties or movements that would really in public challenge the government. Uh, instead, these movements are coming to the street to demonstrate their existence and push for an opening, which should be all of our purpose to help them to open this door to for the people of Iran to stand up to their repressive state and try to change it in a peaceful way. Um, these movements include primarily right now, I just mentioned a few of them. Uh, one of the most important one is the National Teachers Association movement right now, where thousands of teachers across the country for more than a year have been demonstrating, not just as a syndicate, not just as an association for their own rights, but they are going well beyond that into the way that the entire education system is repressed and censored and controlled by the authorities to the wider society, lack of basic freedoms. I mean, what these movements all share and we should all be promoting is their fundamental right to freedom of assembly, freedom of association and freedom of expression. Uh, that is what they're fighting as the basis from which then they can springboard to larger movements that will change the country and take it back from the edge of the cliff that many are the national psyche, psyche seems to have determined. Uh, along with teachers, we have labor unions that are very active. And I'm not going to talk much about that because we have one of the foremost experts and advocates for them here, Mr. Ahmani. Uh, will be updating you on the labor movement, which has become a very major force in the country. And let me uh, just note that part of the psychology of the country being on the edge of a cliff is the economic desperation, is the corruption, is the very one-sided distribution of wealth in the hand of very, very few. Uh, it is believed that at least a third of Iranians, 
this is a population of nearly 90 million, 85 to 90 million. A third of them are living under the poverty line currently in the country. So uh, many people feel like their very existence and the future of their children's existence is tied to the social movements and the outcome of it. Uh, after teachers and labor movement, we can note the very important justice and accountability seeking movement, a movement of victims of state violence, whether it be normal ordinary citizens who came to the streets and were killed on the streets to political prisoners who've been tortured, put in solitary confinement. Uh, the fact that there is no rule of law and the judiciary really has uh, no semblance of justice has led to the creation of this justice and accountability movement, which has historical precedences as important social movements in other countries. Uh, one notable example very similar comes to mind is the uh, mothers of victims in Argentina in 1980s uh, of uh, Playa do um, Sol in, uh, uh, in Argentina and similar movements in Latin America. Uh, and then along with that, you have writers, poets, uh, students, women's rights activists. All these movements are being uh, driven by the fact that they feel like their entire future is online. And that is what has led uh, to a huge increase in number of political prisoners in Iran, because the authorities believe that if they put away the voices of these movements, uh, they can uh, put them down and put an end to it. But it's become very clear that this is not a leader or individual driven movements. Um, and no matter how many people they put in prison, uh, it does not uh, uh, address the grievances or change the situation. Uh, to just mention who are some of the political prisoners who number in thousands, uh, just because we're in an academic setting, I want to especially mention a sociologist and foremost uh, the expert on society in Iran, uh, Dr. Saeed Madani. Uh, he is the person who actually has coined the term movement-driven society, defining Iran as a movement-driven. Uh, and he was taken into prison a month ago and we've heard nothing of him. Uh, what his crime is is not clear, but he has just been up, putting down his observation and analysis as a public intellectual. Another important public intellectual whose life is very much in danger and we should all be concerned about his health and safety is someone who more than 50 years has been the voice of consciousness in Iranian society and civil society. He's a 73-year-old journalist named Kayvon Samimi. Again, they're taking him to prison, uh, even though his only crime is writing and observing these movements and analyzing how they can go forward. Uh, he suffers from heart conditions, and there's also no news of him being exiled to a remote prison. Um, another person that uh, you may have heard of is Nargis Mohammadi, the country's foremost human rights defender. Uh, who has been in and out of prison for more than 20 years. And uh, she is another symbol of political prisoners. These are just a few of hundreds of prominent activists who have chosen to put their life online uh, for this struggle. In addition to them, we have thousands of ordinary Iranians who came to protest in the streets over the past five, six years 
who've been put in prison and uh, there is really no rule of law. The charges brought against all these political prisoners are vague and there is no evidence produced. The judges are completely in the pockets of the interrogators. Indeed, many of prisoners have told me that the interrogators tell them that, look, either you confess and do put down on paper and on video what I tell you, or I'll make sure the judge will give you maximum sentence. And that's indeed what we're saying, the draconian sentences ranging five to 15 years, 10 years is the average. These are very long prison sentences, not to mention torture, lack of healthcare, and the fact that they actually push the prisoners to their death. We have more and more political prisoners dying inside prison. Prominent poet Optin Baktosh just died last year. Several other prisoners have died. And that all gives the urgency for the international community and all of us to focus on political prisoners in Iran. And I'm grateful to the International Campaign for Political Prisoners to have started their activity. But we can talk more about Q&A, what can be done. First and foremost is the recognition of these movements and political prisoners, and then getting our governments and society to put uh, emphasis on them and to be their allies in their epic struggle going on in Iran today. I just cannot emphasize enough uh, how I feel like Iranians are uh, facing a completely uh, a difficult time and see it as a uh, existential and historical moment in their civilization. Thank you. That was Hadi Gamid, director of the Center for Human Rights in Iran. You can find more about the struggle to free Iran's political prisoners at the website for the International Emergency Campaign. It is freeiranspoliticalprisonersnow.org. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. Write to me at mslate at themichaelslateshow.com. Once again, that's mslate at themichaelslateshow.com.